Gene Shepard, humorist, after-dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for See the water's coming up now. Bring it up there. Get them pumps ready here. <laughs> Good. Oh, well, uh, before we get underway here, uh, somebody wrote me a note here and says, uh, Shepard, you don't talk much about the election. Well, why should I add my voice to the din? I mean, it seems to me that, uh, you know, every year there's election, but if, uh, between the election for four years, there's a constant din of politics on America media. And I'm not going to add my voice to the din. I'll add my voice to uh, the cacophony, but not the din. I mean, there's a little Zen difference there. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I'll uh, I will say something about the election in case you're interested. I uh, no, no, people aren't interested in the election. They're interested in personalities. That's what they're interested in. And uh, America is a star country, and stars can do no wrong. In America, you know, we're in fact uh, a few years ago I came up with a phrase which uh, has since I, I notice has been used in several sociological journals. A few years ago, America was a juvenocracy. Uh, the whole life of America was based on on children, and they they ruled it. You see, but that's over now. Uh, we we are in fact what we have now is a stellanocracy, or a we're ruled by the by stars of all types. I mean, and I'm not talking about astrology. In other words, uh, I just think seriously, America would do anything for Robert Redford. I mean, if Robert Redford wanted to be elected president forever, I mean, it's, uh, whether he can read or write is immaterial. If he's as cute, then he's a star. <laughs> but uh, it was inevitable in the media world, and uh, you know, the media is in the saddle far more than poor old McLuhan would have envisioned it. And uh, I can I, I, I see the greatest fear of any presidential candidate is that he will offend Walter Cronkite. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, just at a cocktail party. I don't mean offend them by any of his principles or his theories or anything like that. I mean, you know, when, when Cronkite comes sidling up to the bar and says, uh, pass the hors d'oeuvres and he doesn't hear them, forget it. It's all over. He says, why, do you know he snubbed me for that minute on? I mean, see, you can editorialize on television far more effectively than you can on any other medium, including radio, because radio is a medium of words. And when you hear something, it has to have some kind of an idea behind it. You know, you, go, blah, 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 you know, but when you, when you are on television, just the flick of the eyelash can say, says who <laughs> you can't holler for equal time so, hey, you see what he did with his eyelash come on you guys but uh, nevertheless 
or, you know, faint, a faint sneer plays over the lips as, uh, as you read the news item. You know, it's according to, uh, Jimmy Carter today, you know, a little faint sneer. You don't say anything, you know, just faint the suggestion of an expression. And, you know, seven key states are lost because uh, we, we, people really believe in media. They really do, in spite of all the professed uh, uh, cynicism about it. They believe in it. And it's very important. I, I, as a matter of fact, uh, this friend of mine, I'll tell you what I, what I think of the election. I, I think all elections, and I've lived through a few, everybody has, all elections before the election seem to be a matter of life and death. I mean, it, it, because they build it that way. You see, the, the candidate who's running against the guy who's in constantly proclaims imminent disaster if we continue this mad course. <laughs> Whatever the mad course is, this probably happened at the time that the Richard the Lionhearted was asking to get reaffirmed by the College of Cardinals. I mean, the, the idea being all elections. Now, can you re remember one in your own life where it wasn't said that? by the candidate who was running against the guy that was in, that the mad course that we have been following has brought us to this sorry state. Okay? Now, if we continue this mad course, God only knows where we will end, over the cliff, into the dark, whirling precipice of total disaster. Well, of course, there's... That's one side. The other side, of course, always says, we have been doing very well. Now, the truth actually is in neither. Sorry. Because if you believe one or the other, you're going to constantly be disillusioned. In other words, no president has ever saved the Union. Sorry, friends. <laughs> I don't give a damn what the history books say. <laughs> no president has ever saved the Union. Uh, and no bad president has ever ruined the Union. Oh, you'll buy that. Well, if you buy one, you damn well better buy the other, then, because they're very closely allied. If you believe in good, you have to believe in evil. So... <laughs> I can only tell you that, that, uh, that the, and, and of course what happens is, the guy that's out, I think one of the reasons why Americans are continually disillusioned with their politics is that Americans are basically romantic dreamers. You can tell it in their music. We, we write the sappiest, dreamiest, silliest music that's ever been written by any pen of human man. I'm talking about pop music endless droning about how love will save everybody. Uh, and, and if you believe that, you're in trouble, because what happens is you vote for the love candidate, and it turns out he didn't save the world, and so then you feel he's really sold out. <laughs> Not so. It was your basic promise, the premise, rather, that was uh, fat-headed. In short, uh, love has never solved anything except to rhyme with above and moon rhymes with June. That's about what, what, what love has solved. Uh, some, of the, some of the worst marriages I know are marriages based on love. Bum, ba-dum, bum. <laughs> How do you like that, gang? For, for, 
for nihilism here. But the, the facts of the matter are, though, that, that, that uh, in, the, in the ultimate sense of the word, uh, Americans are continually disillusioned with whoever gets in. You notice practically everybody that's interviewed who says he isn't going to vote says, well, I'm politicians. They, vote. they say they're going to do one thing before they get in, and then they don't do it, and they do the opposite thing. They're all crooks. This is a constant American belief because, see, he does not realize that political speeches are really just symbolic, like valentines. You send a valentine to somebody, and there it is, you bought it for a quarter, you may send out 500 of them, you know. That doesn't mean that all 500 people you're madly in love with, and that your heart has been speared by an arrow from Cupid's dart. <laughs> They're symbolic, right? Just like Christmas cards. You get a Christmas card that says, Our thoughts are with you at all times, especially in this Gala season, well, you get this from the Sears Roebuck Company, and you can't imagine the Sears Roebuck people sitting around thinking about you at Christmas time, unless they're wondering where the hell you are and when you're going to pay your bill. But uh, it's symbolic. So political speeches are symbolic. And if you don't... <laughs> now, so what does symbolic mean? Well, all right. A typical political comment that... Uh, that you will hear is, uh, it, 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 the more vague a speech is, in other words, the more symbolic it becomes. In short, so if you hear a candidate say, and I say to you that my administration, when it takes office the 20th of January 1977, will be the first time that this nation will be headed for a safe harbor. Okay, now that's very symbolic, headed for a safe harbor. Now, what the hell is a safe harbor? Everybody knows that every harbor in the world is full of sharks, if not garbage. So uh, it's symbolic, a safe harbor. We'll arrive at this harbor, and forever people will all love each other. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, hunky-dory, as, uh, as uh, there's an ancient song that says. It's going it's to be just great, you see, safe harbor. Now, if he says to you this way, and I say to you that we will steer this ship of state, this great nation and its great population into a safe harbor by raising the taxes of everybody who has an income over $12. We will take that money and we will steer a course right into that harbor. My God. <laughs> well, see, so the more symbolic you are as a speaker the less people get mad at you and the less chance you have of losing. Remember that. Now, by, by the way, you can be symbolic, too, on the international situation. Now, here's what symbolism on the international situation is. We will pursue a cause which will bring freedom and at the same time economic well-being to the rest of the world without sacrificing anything on the home front. Now that sounds great, doesn't he? He said, oh, that's just perfect. Everybody's going to be happy. They're all going to have dough. And uh, we're going to have peace. <laughs> now if he says, 
We will bring economic well-being to the rest of the world by sending $7,942,000,000 a minute to every country in the world, and you're going to pay for it right through the nose, but they will be happy and have economic well-being. You may not, but they will. Forget it. In other words, the more symbolic you get, <laughs> the easier it is to be... Uh, to be a great statesman. You know, it's, it's, it's very simple to be a great statesman when you don't say exactly how you're going to bring peace. Now, uh, if, if, you, uh, if you suggest you're going to bring peace by going out and clubbing the daylights out of all the guys that get mad and get evil and start throwing shells at each other, oh no. You're just going to get peace by just radiating it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, this will be my uh, election time uh, show, right? <laughs> uh, I've noticed one thing about uh, about the two candidates that are running. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Ford, for example, always reminds me vaguely of a uh, of a football coach. He really does. I mean, uh, he, he's he's he, there's a certain uh, aggressive uh, surety. I mean, he's he, he has he has the he has the thrust of a guy who knows who knows how to throw a good block. <laughs> I mean, you know, now he just ain't Woody Allen. Uh, he's he, uh, let's face it, he was the captain of of a Big Ten football team, and that ain't easy. Uh, Michigan, no less. And uh, by the way, I wonder how many people know that he was uh, in the top tiny percent of his class at Yale. Well, most pe people don't. You know, they don't know this about him. But uh, he was uh, Yale Law School. But he has that square. He he uh, he looks he looks at uh, at stuff right in the eye. He's a coach, and uh, I played a little football, and I never saw a good football coach who radiated nervousness. That's the truth. Now, and, and to me, he comes on like a coach. Now Carter, on the other hand, comes on like a. Uh, he really does, and I, I've lived in the South, and I know I know this type. He comes on like a uh, not exactly a Southern evangelist, but a Southern preacher. Not the same as an evangelist, see, because most people know the Southern evangelist uh, because they've been done many times. Satires, you know, the the evangelist, the hellfire brimstone type guy. But uh, the true Southern preacher is 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 the way he comes on. So you got a coach running against. The uh, the soft spoken Southern preacher, but even his 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 vocal inflections of that, he'll say, uh, "And I'm not seeking power, but everywhere I look, I see evil." <laughs> uh, and, and well, I know I've lived down there, you know, I know I know what it's like. So uh, I says, "The real question in this election is not a matter of the gang in Washington, but whether or not this country." Is going to regain. You see, he's got that, that, uh, and that's a. If if you've ever gone to any southern churches, you know that there are two types of ministers. In fact, there's several types, and one of the types, of course, is uh, is the most common: the uh, Oral Roberts, the uh, uh, no, not Billy Graham as much. The Oral Roberts is more common. Uh, to to uh, many of the southern congregations, and possibly even there's a there's a there's even a dash of uh, Elmer Gantry, uh, if you've ever followed uh, the writings of Sinclair Lewis. Uh, 
But that's a very different type. That's the uh, the, the Elmer Gantry, really, is the traveling uh, circus-type evangelist. It's a very different type. But uh, if you go down through many towns in, in, the, in Haw Creek, Georgia, and you drive along, you see this little white church, and it's quiet, and you see the people going in on Sunday, you'll hear somebody come up on the platform, wears his dark suit and, and uh, his uh, quiet white shirt, and you get up there and say, this is the way it goes. He says, I want to thank all you for coming today. And it is my duty to tell you that everywhere I look today, I see evil. Now, it is not beyond the possibility of our country to regain the even course that will lead us to the straight and true roadway to good. But everywhere I look, I see evil. And so that's a certain type. <laughs> and and uh, if you've never lived in the South, you probably would not know that curious... Uh, it's a kind of, it's a kind of dropped bomb that just drops at the end. And he always drops his phrases at the end. You watch this. He'll say something like, uh, uh, The President of the United States brings forth this problem, which is basically leadership. <laughs> you know? So it's a, it's a, it's a style. It's a, it's a definite style. And then a smile at the end of it. You know, as though... You know, it's uh, don't worry. <laughs> I mean, we can solve it. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's you know. On the one hand, you got a, you got the football coach delivery, and uh, and uh, that's very valid because uh, of, 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 let's face it, a uh, football coach is a leader, and uh, he, he has a certain amount of drive and does have this a good one. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Carter has the, the inflections of the head of a very quiet uh, southern congregation. Not the hellfire and brimstone, but the very, very sure congregation that knows it's on the right track. <laughs> and, uh, and it has seen the light. And the light has been revealed to me. And I say to you that evil will not win out. And so it's a it's a it's another kind of leader. This is a leader, of course. Uh, a minister in many areas of the South is the community leader, and uh, and is the arbiter of of what uh, you know what's right and what's wrong at all times. Not so in New York. Uh, religious leaders years ago used to have a great impact on New York, and uh, any mayor who was or would be mayor had to curry the favor of the various uh, religious groups in New York City because the various uh, heavies in the religious world, the big, uh, uh, you know, the heavy leaders, could make or break a politician. But this is very true in the South, uh, in many parts of the South today. And so uh, the, the, the various, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with the, uh, you know, with the various techniques of, of transmission of ideas that are used. Incidentally, and very, very much in keeping with the, with, uh, the religious uh, tradition of the South, uh, Carter is far less specific than, say, Ford would be, because a football coach must perforce be more specific. So if he says, "Ain't nobody blocking out number 12," you know, he's he's very specific. You know, he'll say, "We've got to get that. We got to get that cross going. We've got just got to do it." Now, when you get that handoff, you've got to turn to your right, not to your left. You got to turn to your right, and you got to cut in between guard and tackle. No way else. 
Okay. Now that's because uh, in that world uh, you either win or you don't. You know, you either you either uh, kick the field goal or you don't. There's no in between. And if you don't kick it right, you don't kick the field goal. It's the end of it. Now in the in the world of of the you might say the transcendental southern religionist, to be specific is often uh, repugnant. Uh, to a, to a, you know, it's very difficult to pin a religionist down as to whether or not what he, how he defines good and how he defines evil. That's difficult. It's a matter of the heart, you see. So, <laughs> so uh, his 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 appeal would be to people who prefer, who are far dreamier, really, in a sense. I think uh, that uh, uh, that many ex-flower children would like that kind of message. Whether or not it's going to cure the problems or whether the coach can cure the problems is immaterial. It's what you think that counts. In fact, there's a, there's a whole school of, uh, of reality versus uh, fantasy in, uh, in politics that's been studied by some very good people over the years. And, you know, we're, whenever we talk about aesthetics, we always, we always study the aesthetics of uh, music, we'll say, or painting or literature or sculpture. But the aesthetics of politics are interesting. Uh, that, that why, you know, it's always fascinating. Why can one man see evil in, in, you know, in the message of one guy, and the guy right next to him, coming from the same background, ostensibly, sees nothing but good in it? Well, there's, a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of study on this basis. And, of course, there are, there's a certain kind of person who feels that because of their specific makeup, their clear-eyed view of the world, if you will, that whoever they're for is obviously the right and good person. Now, they, they then feel that if the others, you know, if somebody else is voting for somebody else and, and follows somebody else, it's because of innate evil. <laughs> you see, they know better than that, but they're doing this for selfish reasons, some evil selfish reasons. So that's that's all part of the whole political, um, you know, the, the, the pull and push and tug of politics. It's a fascinating world of, of politics. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever, have you ever read uh, any descriptions? I don't think many people have. Really specific, very detailed descriptions. We're, now, we're, we're not, this has nothing to do with our current politics, nor our current uh, campaign people uh, or candidates. We're talking about the abstract field of politics. Now, you will agree that Hitler was a politician. Okay. I wonder how many how many people have actually read uh, specific, and I mean very clear-eyed descriptions of Hitler's effect on a crowd and how he did it. Now, no, no, how he did it technically. Now, you say you did. Where did you read it? Where? No, wait a minute. New York University didn't write it. What was it you read it in? Who? A movie. No. This is, uh, you'll never get it from a movie. So if, uh, because you see, a performance, uh, a live performance of a, of a, uh, of a, of a really dynamic character can never be captured on a movie. Because, for one thing, you're not in the same milieu watching it that the people who are there are enjoying or are suffering under. In other words, if you see a movie of Attila the Hun, uh, 
has nothing to do with the real Attila the Hun coming down out of the hills when you are sitting there squatting next to your camel. In short, we tend to believe reality in our country is a movie, and that is also tragic. But if we see something in a movie, we have really seen the real thing. Well, sorry. That's another one of the reasons why our country is getting into a lot of difficult problems. Uh, movies are, are quickie works of art, and unfortunately there can be good ones and bad ones, but as reflectors of history, they leave much to be desired, <laughs> just by the nature of the movie experience. But uh, there is a spectacularly interesting description, to me personally as a performer, in a new book called Adolf Hitler by John Toland, but he describes, no, it's, it's a very, it's, you won't like the book. I'll, I'll raise my hand right here. So don't write it down. No, you won't. Because it is a, a very detailed and highly complex non-pop history. No, no, this is not uh, history as written by uh, uh, James Missioner. This is, the, <laughs> this is the real thing. And it's not, it's not that interesting unless you are really into uh, the the whole idea of why we are where we are, you know, the, the, I'm talking about the whole 20th century thrust. Hitler was probably the first guy in the 20th century to recognize that more people are swayed by a personality than an idea. He knew that very well, and and he was a highly skilled and and what this is what's intriguing, a very very cool and self and analytical performer. Hitler was not a guy who just came out of the woodwork and uh, had this ability. He worked on it. And, and when he wound up with, with doing, a, doing a, sp a very specific type of, of, uh, of performance. Now, as a performer, and I've performed before thousands of people in many different areas, Carnegie Hall, uh, Princeton universities, I know about holding and, and managing and weaving a spell on a crowd. Well, some can do it, some can't. Uh, most of our popular performers cannot. It would, that, that may surprise you. Uh, it would be difficult for Johnny Carson to hold 2,000 people by himself for more than 15 minutes. That's not at all the type of performance that, that I'm talking about. And so uh, as... As you play upon a crowd, you, you know, you know, basically, and it's not a matter of, of uh, specific uh, intellectual knowledge. It's visceral knowledge, <laughs> where that crowd is at, meaning you sense it. And if you have that sense of a crowd, uh, you've got them in the palm of your hands. I don't care how hostile a crowd may be in the beginning, which is a very fascinating subject and one which is very little studied. It's, it's really basically mass psychology. Americans are not interested in mass psychology because we're so interested in ourselves. So we prefer uh, Freudian psychology. We prefer uh, Adlerian psychology. But uh, not many Americans study much Pavlov uh, because it's, we don't like to think of ourselves as, being beyond, as getting in the grip of something beyond our control. <laughs> We always like to think that we are the captains of our soul, which is basically part of the American idea, that you are and can uh, solve your world. You can solve your problems. The nation can solve its problems. All it has to do is this. And we don't want to admit 
that uh, that the Transylvanians have something to do with that, or the uh, Bulgarians, or the uh, you know the rest of the world. We don't like that. That's, that's very troublesome. So so we don't study that sort of thing. <laughs> and and all the while, when you see a, a, a speaker and you hear him perform, I'm talking about a politician, specifically in this case, even a commercial. You know, they they found that that often. The least suspected commercial is the most effective. Now, it's not just a matter of repetition or a beautiful girl or a great-looking guy. That may have absolutely no effect. Nobody quite knows. So you say, yeah, yeah, I know. No, you don't. Nobody does. If you do know, you're wasting your time here. <laughs> That's all I got to say. You are, you are, you could, oh, you could own the world. If you know what it is that makes, say, a guy get up before a crowd of 2,000 people, and you know, you can really analyze why he makes that crowd go ape. Not easy. And, and uh, you think it has to do with the ideas he's espousing. Now, often it has to do with the deep-seated fears of the individual in the mass. If, if, a, if a speaker subtly promises you immortality, all right, think about that for a minute. Uh, he's not—he's not offering you an economic theory. He's not offering you uh, a political theory. He's offering you eternal life. Now, he doesn't really offer that. It just seems to suggest <laughs> salvation. River sticks and all that, as they say, and all that. <laughs> Ten sixty-six. Get up large. You like my Jimmy Connor? Ever while I see him. You've been listening to Gene Shepherd, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.